from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company with Jonathan Von Tobel and Adam Candy on ESPN Las Vegas. Rolling along on a wind-blown Tuesday afternoon here in Las Vegas. I, these are not the days I love living here, man. The temperature is right. The wind is howling. And hold on. Let me sound like an old man for a second. My allergies are killing me. Oh, Bro. my God. I, Dude, it's brutal. Like my, my two states of being right now are snot pouring out of me or so hopped up on allergy pills that I'm basically walking in a trance all day. Dude, so um, I, I have allergies, but like not really that bad. Um, you know, it's like my nose, like right now my nose just like kind of tickles a little bit, you know, and I just got to like rub it every mm. once in a while. But my okay. wife, my wife is a nightmare and she's out right outside my door probably listening to this. Uh, like her this morning, it, like in the mornings, I actually have to hand out because she has passed on her genetics to our child as you ah. do when you're the mother of a child um mm-hmm. so like in the mornings it's handing out zyrtec to my family it's like all right here's your here's your zyrtec to the kid to the wife here's your bubblegum flavored syrup zyrtec for the child like it's it's a nightmare and both of them just <laughs> like the whole time it's a nightmare you better keep all that crap off our broadcast okay you understand no, no one wants to hear that mess. Uh, I've got my dog crated. If you need to crate the rest of the family, do what you got to do. But you know, this is a quality radio broadcast. We don't need to be hearing all that sneezing and, wh- and wheezing and stuff. All right? Keep it down. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be the man of the house. We appreciate that. Uh, time to get into the three, boys. It's time for the three. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Well, we got to talk old man stuff for a little bit longer here because the long anticipated report, I know all of us on this broadcast have been sitting around saying, University of Texas, why do we not have the report yet on why your fight song, The Eyes of Texas, is or is not racist? We've been waiting for this long report to come out. Finally, we have it. 58 pages long. And it all goes to tell us that a song that was written in 1903 that was first performed in blackface. It's not really racist. It's not really racist. I don't know why anyone would think that, guys. Uh, I don't know why you would say that a song that was written in 1903 uh, and that many people were complaining about because it debuted in a racist setting uh, was a problem here in 2020. So let's read a little bit here from the report in the executive summary um song as we mentioned written in 1903 played before and after longhorn football games in recent years as the origin of the song became more well known it became a controversial issue at the university quote these historical facts add complexity and richness to the story of a song that debuted in a racist setting exceedingly common for the time but as the preponderance of research showed had no racist intent The eyes of Texas should not only unite us, but hold all of us accountable to our institution's core values. Uh, John, that feels like not necessarily a report so much as a double down from the University of Texas saying, well, listen, it might have debuted at a racist time. It might have been in a racist setting, which, by the way, there were a lot of them then, Um, but it needs to bring us together now. 
Don't you think that's don't you think we should just accept it and move on now that the University of Texas has said there was no racist intent? Because if there's no intent to be racist, clearly it can't be racist. Facts only. Right. And this comes on the heels of all of those donor emails getting leaked finally, right? Where we see that uh, all of these donors threatening to pull their money. Um, if, of course, the song is pulled. That's just a coincidence, I'm sure. Um, look, like I, I think this is one of those conversations kind of with the Les Miles thing. We all know what the intent is here. We know what the song is. In fact, as I mentioned, some of those emails that we discussed on this very show, uh, when some of them are actually saying, yeah, you know what? We only got about, what, 6% black population here at the school. Who cares? Let them go to a different school. This is our song. The donors and the people who sing this song know what the intent and what the history is behind this song. So I think I'm not, again, disappointed, not surprised about why this is happening, especially in the area, right, that we're talking about at this point right now. That's not to throw the blanket over everybody. But regardless, this is a little ridiculous. Like, at the same time, too, the things that we, like the the general we, Adam, are willing to stick our neck out for, it it amazes me. A crappy song like this, and this is what you want to do, right? If you're somebody who supports Texas, donates to Texas, this is what you want to go down on? The eyes of Texas sung to the tune of, was it the railroad song, whatever the hell it is? I've been working on the railroad. Right. Like, come on, dude. It's ridiculous. I don't know why it's so hard to just sit back and go, we understand what the history was on this song. We understand what the intent is on this song. Let's just stop singing it, man. So some other findings that came out of the report to go along with what we're talking about here. The song borrows from the melody of I've Been Working on the Railroad. There were performances at campus minstrel shows with actors in blackface all the way into the 1960s. Um, There was a panel put together by the university that included 40 recommendations, including teaching the song's history at student orientation events, and allowing new alternative versions composed and are performed by black musicians. Are, are they under the impression that a community that is telling you, we are offended by this song, we believe it is racist, we believe its origins are racist, are going to say, well, you know what? It'll all be okay if you allow us to sing our own version of your racist song, right? We just need to set this to a beat and everything will be fine, right? Yeah. Is that what we're hearing here? Like, does Ari need to compose a beat for this song? And then everybody in Texas will be fine. Ari's giving me the thumbs down that he won't do it. I think Ari doesn't like making money because apparently those those donors of Texas might be willing to pay you for that. Right. I The whole... It's such ham-fisted and it's nonsense the way that they're handling this at this point right now. And look, like, again, people have power. And the one thing you can hope is that maybe... Uh, that the African-American community can sit back and go, we're not just just don't go there anymore. Right. Don't go there. Don't play for them. Don't do any of that. And I get it. There's much deeper uh, layers to just saying, hey, just turn down a scholarship from Texas or don't go to Texas. Right. Because there's a lot going on. But at the same time, I I would hope that then if this is the way that they're going to handle it, if we get these donors being vocal about it in their emails right to the school president and to the athletic director, then I would hope that people are vocal with their power and with their money and choose not to support them anymore. And I've been sort of tongue-in-cheek and uh, letting John do the, the heavy lifting on this with the stuff that I've been saying all along here, but the point for me is that they, in the report, summarized that there was no racist intent. There is no intent when it comes to racism that matters. Right. It, there, what matters is the fact that we are now more educated 117 years after this song 
was originally performed about what constitutes racism, about who we need to listen to to understand what racism is, and the fact that if you as white people writing emails as white people supporting the song the university feel that it's not racist that's not really your prerogative to have the prerogative is of the people who are feeling offended and it's your job to listen to them as to what is offensive to them and what you said john makes so much sense to me this is the hill you want to go down on and this is the hill you want to die on really you want to die over over a fight song or is this just representative of the largest cult, larger cultural fight that we're having now over so many things that we're going to plant our flag over something as dumb as a fight song right it's it's like the thing with the dr seuss books right where dr seuss does an internal review they find that they need to take the shelves off the books and then we're talking about cancel culture and people are snatching up the books because right just to push back on, on that kind of a movement here but i also think too adam and this is a very simplistic way of looking at it, but it also reminds me of the argument and dynamic around hip hop lyrics and certain people uh, of a certain fair skin color being comfortable, right? Dropping racial slurs because, oh, it's part of the song. It's fine. It's not racist. When in reality, like I've educated myself in, in the past, right? Young me didn't see the difference. And then as I got older, you understand, as you said, it's not my prerogative to say whether or not it's racist or uncomfortable or things. If I'm told that a massive group of people find it inappropriate to do so, then you just don't do it. And like my life has not changed because I can't drop N-bombs when rapping along with ain't no fun if the homies can't have none, right? Like it's, it's ridiculous. I do want that to be a segment here, even though we want you to skip the word. I do think the three of us doing a little karaoke might be entertaining for the people out there. I'm going to hold that Marc-Andre Fleury story that I was talking about for our friend Stormy, who is coming up in just a second and talk a little VGK with us here on Cofield and Company. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Zuccarello comes back up the boards, feeds across to the right, and a shot. Flurry the save. Turning to his left, stopping Spurgeon, the defenseman. It's time for VGK ringside reporter Stormy Bonantoni on Cofield and Company. All right, first things first. As the song suggests, we're going to get right into it with our friend Stormy Bonantoni, ringside reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights on AT&T Sportsnet. Uh, Stormy, I assume you are holed up somewhere in a hotel in Minneapolis. Is that accurate? How did you know? I, I didn't know if I didn't know if maybe you were just going to be like wandering the streets inside some sort of COVID bubble for yourself. You know, <laughs> if you'd gone out, you know, wrapped up and no, I know you're not allowed out. You can't go anywhere right now, can you? I don't get a ton of sunlight, you know, but I'm naturally pale anyway. So I'm thinking it's working for me, but it's actually beautiful <laughs> weather out here in Minnesota. So I probably should go for a walk or something. But yes, in the hotel room, uh, as usual, that's just kind of the standard in this, you know, embedded with the team bubble type of a life right now. But I'm getting used to it. So are you allowed out at all? Like if you wanted to go take a walk right now, is that part of the, the COVID protocol or what's allowed? Yep. Part of the protocol is we are allowed to walk outside um, in open air as long as we still have a mask on and everything. Um, 
but that's pretty much pretty much it outside of you know the hotel room and the rink when we're on the road the the you know it's a duller life but thank goodness we get some fun action on the ice and you know I don't I have the best spot in the world to watch a hockey game every other day right now so I can't complain Accurate information. Uh, even though Dave and Shane are joining us from back in Summerlin, we know you're at the rink. Got to see you last night on the uh, Golden Knights game against the Minnesota Wild. But Stormy, we're we're not quite done talking about hotels yet. Um, okay. We have we have a we have a little more conversation because we're actually going to lead this week with Stormy's tweet of the week. Uh, this week, sponsored by our friends at Meetup Vegas. Go to meetupvegas.com. That's M E A T Meetup Vegas. Dot com. Uh, Stormy, it was quite the situation for you and the team in San Jose uh, when you went up there to take on the Sharks as the Fairmont Hotel in San Jose. First, it was open and then rather suddenly it was not open. In fact, not just closed, they, they, they shut down like they went bankrupt and the entire hotel shut down. I'm pulling up your tweet right now because I want to make sure I give accurate information. Stormy says, I'm the type of person that makes a hotel room a home. Everything sprawled out everywhere. I wish there was video of me waking up from my nap and panic packing because it's a great <laughs> game show idea. What happened for you and the team up there in San Jose? That's so embarrassing. <laughs> and I expect this. I already know that the tweet of the week is coming, so I should know better than to post out just like my train of thought in these moments. <laughs> but yeah, 100%. It was such a weird scenario because, as you guys know, the NHL this year has specific hotels that they are using for teams when they're on the road. So, the, so all of the teams in the NHL, when they go play in San Jose, they stay at the Fairmont. So um, that was the designated hotel that was chosen, and it was obviously – Super unfortunate. Like, I, I really appreciated that Nick Holden, um, in his availability, talked about how, yes, like, we found out that we had to leave the hotel right away and pack up our stuff um, to go stay somewhere else. But those employees at the hotel were so blindsided. So definitely feeling for all of the folks there that, that were working at that hotel that had no idea this type of thing was happening. But for us, honestly, it was kind of funny I, uh, we have this app on our phones that gives us notifications for, um, you know, what our calendar is for the day, what time the staff buses are going to be going to the rink, when we're available to go to lunch, like different things like that. And I was in my pregame nap time. I was feeling really good about where I was at for the day with all of my prep, got everything done early, which has been really rare for me lately. And I go to sleep, and my phone is just buzzing off the hook. And I go check it, and it's my two coworkers just saying, Stormy, are you, like, are you awake? Are you alive? Like, make sure that you're packed up because oh, we're leaving no. the hotel <laughs> after, after tonight after all. And we were expecting to be in San Jose for, like, three days because of the back-to-back. And it's very rare that you actually unpack if you're just staying somewhere one or two days. So for three days, my stuff is everywhere, like, in the bathroom, all over the floor, like, clothes, shoes, everything. It was a hot mess. And then I had about 25 minutes to pack it all up before I got on the bus because initially my plan was just to be to wake up and go on the bus. (laughs) So I think this opens a fascinating can of worms, uh, multiple ones, Um, the hotel room and then adult naps. But I want to focus on the hotel room first. Uh, When we're talking about making it a home stormy, so you kind of alluded to it. It's just kind of messy or do you use like the drawers and the hangers and the closet and the ironing board? Are you that kind of a hotel room stayer? 
I do use the ironing board and I do use the closet. I'm not a drawers person. If you were to walk into my hotel room right now, and I'm, I'm staring at it as we speak, the entire right side of the room, like right to the right of the bed, is just covered with my suitcase open and clothes and shoes on the couch, on the chair, on the table, on the floor. But my coats are in the closet. The other part of this is, do you often take naps as an adult? Because I have, so I have a kid now, and so I just find myself in a chronic state of depression and tiredness. And so I try to take naps, but it takes everything out of me. Like, I wake up more tired from adult naps than I have in my entire life. <laughs> yes, I mean, I wake up more tired sometimes, but for the most part, I think I've got it down to a science. No kids, you know, just lazy. No, just kidding. But <laughs> I... Um, I typically, like, I, I like to just try to get a quick power nap if I can because my schedule is so bizarre because I'm, like, a lady and I can't just show up on TV looking like a homeless person as much as I would like to sometimes. It's not it's frowned upon by the establishment. So, like, I have to wake up super early to do my makeup and stuff like that, even for morning skate because sometimes we do hits. And then I get home and I'm, like, or hotel, rather, and I'm just, beat you know what i mean it's only half the day i still have like an entire game to do later on that night so if i can get all my prep work in i'm gonna take every advantage of some some a, a half an hour to an hour of just time with my eyes closed the best part about this question stormy is that if you could see the three of us right now doing this show there are multiple baseball caps right. hoodies unshaved dudes oh. like this this is by far three guys who are absolutely endorsing the idea of doing a broadcast as homeless people. Man, that's the dream. It really is. I'm not going to lie. It, it really also, is the dream. I'm also un unfamiliar. Are there unfair beauty standards for women in media? I, I had no idea. What? 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 No, stop it. <laughs> John, John, we, John, International Women's Day was yesterday. We're not allowed to talk about that today, right? <laughs> it's only one day a year we can talk about these types of issues, right? Exactly. One day. One day. That's it. Uh, but you know what? In terms of uh, International Women's Day, Stormy, I was watching the broadcast last night, and you featured someone who I kind of wish got a little bit more attention in terms of Vegas history in Manon Rayom, who, of course, was a goaltender with the Las Vegas Thunder and and holds such a unique position, not just in in Las Vegas sports history, but in overall NHL history. Uh, what what, uh, what did you learn getting to know Manon a little bit? Yeah, we were fortunate enough to have her on our Game Misconduct podcast recently, and she is just such an incredible human being to get to know. Um, she was one of the only, like, she was on an all-boys team when she was growing up, one of the only girls in her area in Canada that played hockey. She had to hide her appearance. Like, her dad legitimately dressed her fully up in goalie gear before her first game so that nobody would judge her for being a girl or not let her play with the boys. Um, but by the end of the game and she took her helmet off, there was nothing that any of the other parents could do about it at that point. So just, like, hearing how she got her start, she was basically, like, target practice for her brothers growing up and just always loved hockey. She always had that why-not-me kind of a mentality and – never let getting cut from XYZ teams because she wasn't good enough or because she was a girl, let her let, let that keep her down. And she just always kept working hard. And um, one of the things that I mentioned on the broadcast that she told me that she gives as advice to all of the young girls that she coaches now in the Little Caesars um, youth hockey program is just that, like, never let somebody tell you no. 
Um, never give up on your dreams and that hard work and respect will take you a long way, not just in sports. And I just think that she's a really inspirational person. As you said, the first woman ever to play in an NHL game um, with the Tampa Bay Lightning back in the 90s. And, of course, her ties to Vegas made it just a fun way for us to loop her into our International Women's Day celebration. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a super cool story uh, that you guys told on the broadcast and uh, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, Since you mentioned it, why don't you give a little plug to the podcast? Yeah, um, it's called Game Misconduct, as I mentioned, and basically every show we give kind of a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on with the Golden Knights because myself and my co-host, Alyssa Girardi, who runs social media for the Golden Knights, are both embedded with the team right now. And so we try to give a little bit of perspective and, and give fans some fun what's going on and also just hear women speak about hockey in addition to having a special guest every episode that is kind of this game-changing, pioneer, trailblazing type of a woman in the sport. We talked to Manon Rayom, as I ta- as I mentioned. Our most recent guest was Kelsey Colzer, who is 25 years old, a former top pick in the WNHL, in the NWHL, excuse me, and um, and now is the first black coach in NCAA history. So she's not only dealt with being a woman in hockey, but being a person of color in hockey. Shares so many interesting stories about her life and how she got to the point that she is and how she's handled different things. It's uh, really, really empowering stuff. And I think what's fun about our show is that, like, me and Melissa are very odd knucklehead type of people so we have fun and we keep it light but then we also do tackle some of those other subjects as well that maybe aren't talked about as much so essentially you're saying you two bring the knucklehead element and then you have a guest on who sort of gives some gravitas to the podcast is that what i'm getting from you yes exactly and i try to keep it fun with them a lot of the times too because some of our subjects do get a little heavier i think that that one of my talents is being um, being lighthearted, and so it's nice to kind of get that out of some of our more serious guests as well. But our guests do range from every facet of the sport, so whether it's a player or a coach or a scout, hockey operations type role, or a broadcaster like myself, print journalism. We, we even talk to executives in the NHL. Um, we really try to just show like other women and men and, and younger children and girls, like whoever wants to listen to it, that the way you look shouldn't affect the type of job that you want to do. And that if you want to work in sports or if you want to work in the NHL, there's so many possibilities for you. Fantastic message, Stormy. You can check out the Game Misconduct podcast with Stormy and Alyssa Girardi, all the places that you find podcasts. Uh, Stormy, real quick before we let you go. We know there's some injury situations going on with the Golden Knights right now. What can you tell us about uh, Mark Stone and uh, Petrangelo and McNabb as well? Yeah, definitely. So all game time decisions, as far as we know right now, um, Mark Stone announced Petrangelo had injuries that they suffered the other day against San Jose, so they weren't available for the game against Minnesota last night. Braden McNabb has been on long-term IR since the end of January, getting back from a lower body injury. But he's been on the ice this past week. And Coach DeBoer has said numerous times that he looks really, really close. And in watching him at morning skates and at practices throughout this past week, like, I I mean, I, I'm not a coach. I can't tell you uh, what he sees versus what I see. But um, I could see him potentially getting in the game tomorrow, which would be um, definitely a big boost for the team right now, considering the bodies that they have had unavailable recently. And when we talk about Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo specifically, 
Stone is the Golden Knights captain. Alex Petrangelo was a captain with the St. Louis Blues and wears an A for our team. So, like, not only are are those critical positions on the ice for the team, but those are big voices on the bench, uh, on the ice, in the room. They're just really important components. So that element, when they're not on the ice, is really missed. So the sooner that they can get back, the better. And same thing for Robin Leonard, actually, who we didn't mention, who is not on this trip with the Golden Knights. Pete DeBoer said there uh, recently that there's potential that maybe he could join in progress. But as this goes on longer and longer, you never know. Um, So hopefully Robin is able to join the team at some point in the near future as well because Marc-Andre Fleury, as great as he has been, uh, you don't want him to have to have the the burden, so to speak, too much on on his body at this point in his career. But, boy, has he been fantastic. And it was hard, I think, on, on everybody on the team last night to lose a game that essentially was one nothing until there was an empty net at the very end of the game where he was fantastic and the defense stood up, but you just couldn't get goals to support him. Second in the league in goals saved above average is Mark Andre Fleury. Stormy Bonatoni joins us every week here on Cofield and Company. Hopefully, she gets to remain in the exact same hotel room in Minneapolis for as long as she needs to be there. We appreciate your time, Stormy. Thank you. What a guy you are. Thanks so much. See, talk to you next week. All right, when we come back, we're going to hit on a little bit more NFL talk. Big day going around the league here with the Raiders and a bunch of other teams as well on Cofield Company. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Cofield Company, Tuesday afternoon. Cofield is out at an undisclosed secret location. He is masked. He is distanced. Don't worry, Steve is fine. Adam Candy, Jonathan Von Tobel, back at the Finley Toyota Studios. It is our man Ari as we roll along here. It is a huge day in sports, even though you might not think that we're talking about football in March. The NFL never sleeps. 365 days a year it's football 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 and we have more going on today than we have had in quite a while actually in the league john as the franchise tags have come down for a number of players they have not come down for others and when we talked to miles simmons a little bit earlier he brought up the dak prescott contract as dak signs for four years 160 million yesterday came out actually while we were doing the show Average annual value of $40 million puts him second in the league behind Patrick Mahomes. When you first saw the deal announced, what was your first gut reaction? Good for him. <clears throat> right? Get in the bag a little bit when considering the ankle injury he was coming off of and the, I would assume, worry that you have at that point in your career, right? That maybe the Cowboys – remember, <clears throat> excuse me, Cowboys are rumored. Like, we talked about it immediately. Like – Hey, if they're going to win like two, three, four games, why not try to make a shot? Like try to get a shot at Trevor Lawrence or something like that. Like his future was in jeopardy. And so I think my initial thought was just, okay, good for him. He got his, especially in the first few years, right? What is it up to 70 million in the first year uh, or whatever ridiculous amount it's going to be for him? I I would say that I I was very happy for Dak Prescott initially. Agreed entirely. And my second thought was Jerry Jones screwed this up the day he signed the Zeke Elliott contract. 
The Correct. day he offered Zeke as much money as he did, giving him $90 million over six years, he backed himself into this corner with Dak Prescott, and there was absolutely no way out other than to pay him. And the part that I really loved yesterday was immediately once this contract was signed and everyone said, whoa, Dak got that up to $75 million in the first year? The spin machine went into full effect with guys like Schefter, with guys like Rapport, and it was, well, you know what this is? This, this is Jerry Jones knowing there's a big TV contract coming. Right. No, it's not. This is Jerry Jones getting backed into a damn corner by himself and having to pay his quarterback because he went out there and paid the least valuable position in football a record-setting contract. Right. No, I don't know, Adam. As you know, the NFL is notoriously hamstrung in terms of its money, so I think Jerry Jones had to sit back and wait to see what the financials <laughs> were going to be like with the TV deal you know, before he could dive in feet first with the franchise board. That's exactly why they have a salary cap, right? They have a salary cap because there's so little money to go around that they need to make sure that everyone has all of their value protected. That's exactly what happened. Jerry Jones now has, let's see these cap numbers for next year. Demarcus Lawrence at 25 million. Dak's cap number actually goes down to 22 million. Amari Cooper, 22. Zach Martin, 17. Tyron Smith, 14. Uh, number two running back, Zeke Elliott, 13.7. Uh, Lyle Collins, $12 million, three of those being the offensive linemen for the Cowboys. When you look at this Cowboys team, John, and you say to yourself, all right, for them to compete next year, they need to do what? What are the two or three things that the Cowboys must do this offseason if this DAC contract is actually going to mean anything? Uh, fire Mike McCarthy, <clears throat> number one. Okay, uh, but let's let's talk about things that Jerry Jones might be willing to do. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean... Nothing like what? Like what are you going to do? What are you going to add potentially with the way that your cap is where you're at right now that you could add to your team to make it legitimately better? Right. The issues have been with their defense. I think their offense is absolutely spectacular, but their defense has fallen off of a cliff. Right. For a while, it looked like they were drafting relatively well, but then we've seen what happened. Getting a new defense coordinator helps. Maybe that does you know kind of alleviate some of the issues. But this is a team that's essentially running it back, and this is a team that before they lost their star quarterback was a below 500 team with a very bad defense and a really good offense. Like, what were we going to expect here with this? Like, And that's why when I talk about Mike McCarthy, I say, and obviously, you know, I don't know if he deserves to be fired necessarily. I think he just didn't deserve to be hired initially. But coaches like that make the difference for a team that is a that is made up like the Cowboys, right? That has all the talent in the world on offense, but is poor defensively. And you make your money in the margins, and Mike McCarthy's not going to do that. He's not, and we saw the value of coaching last year, especially with in-game decisions about as much as we ever did in any NFL season. To the point of the defense, I think I was kind of setting you up to talk about this in a way because we've talked to some of the folks at Pro Football Focus, like Eric Eager, like George Shuri, and they talk about how noisy defensive performance is year to year. And yeah, the Cowboys dealt with injuries, they dealt with scheme problems last year, and they ended up as Pro Football Focus number 28 rated defense by the end of the year. In 2019, they were the eighth-rated defense, and the personnel didn't change all that much. So I really do think you can look at this Cowboys team and say, if you use the draft and a couple of smart acquisitions, and I'm not talking about big money, I'm just talking about bringing in the right guys for a scheme fit. If you use those things properly and get this back to a middle-of-the-pack defense, there is so much offensive talent on this team that in that horrible division, they're going to be right back in the mix of things when it comes to next year. I don't feel all too badly about their chances uh, when it comes to 
competing in the NFC East. Well, uh, John's on his really little. Quickly, yeah, go ahead. Really, I was just going to say really quickly, Adam, like because I like having these conversations. But my 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 question or rebuttal would be because you're right. Like they were one of the better defenses that year. Which year was the noise though? Right? Which year was the aberration? Was it the year that they were actually legitimately good, or was it last year what we saw? And I think the the argument is actually that there's noise in both. That this is probably right. a league average type defense in the first place. That they're probably not as good as eighth. They're probably not as bad as twenty eighth. And that when it comes to what separates teams year to year, it's much less about talent and scheme than we want to believe as armchair QBs. It has a hell of a lot more to do with the schedule that you face, with your health with things that you know that are largely out of the control of the team at any given time. So a good discussion, and as we talk football, I think we can carry that one on as we go along here today. But uh, we're going to switch it back to, as I was starting to say, the end of your NBA vacation as we bring it right on back to Southern California with our man Jovan Buha, covers the Lakers for the Athletic, who's going to join us here in just a moment on Cofield & Company. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Candy and JVT here on your Tuesday afternoon. Cofield, back with you tomorrow as the Rebels get their Mountain West Tournament opening round game against Air Force started in the afternoon. We'll join you on Cofield and Company right after the end of that game, right up until 6 o'clock. Tonight, you can stay tuned 6 p.m. for the T.J. Otzelberger Coaches Show with John Sandler, Curtis Terry, as they catch up with Coach before the tournament gets started. Let's take it from college to the pros and talk with our good friend Jovan Buha, covers the Lakers for the Athletic. Uh, has it been an actual all-star break for you, Jovan, or has it just been work upon work here in the middle of the year? Uh, it's been a little bit of a break. I actually took uh, some time this weekend to uh, spend time with family and just kind of unplug and unwind on uh, Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Uh, so I actually didn't catch the All-Star game live. I, I had to rewatch and catch up on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a nice couple of, uh, of days off amid uh, madness. And then uh, starting basically today, it's, uh, it's back to the grind. Yolan, you actually rewatched the All-Star game? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I kind of skimmed through it, I, you know, uh, looking on uh, synergy and kind of skipping over the possessions and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm an NBA nerd, so I, I want to, I watch the All-Star game every year and I want to, even though it's, it's essentially meaningless, I, I do want to know what happened. I, uh, I am an NBA nerd as well, so I'm totally down with that. Um, I wanted to lament the status of defense in the NBA after watching the All-Star <laughs> game, but that's part time uh so let's start with the the guys that you've been covering this year los angeles lakers uh as we go into the second half here and we look at this lakers team you know what's your overall level of concern because i feel like it's hard i shouldn't say it's hard to have concern for them but a lot of the symptoms right have been because of lack of availability of key bodies so i feel like it's kind of hard to evaluate where this team is i feel like the only thing i know about the lakers you have on are two things one they're not going to shoot the ball very well, regardless of who comes back. And two, I don't think they're very happy with the center position. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I, I think both of those, um, both of those uh, critiques are fair. I, I think those really, to, to be honest, I mean, 
Of course, the, the biggest concern, I, I think, in, in this, I think, not only looms over the Lakers, but, but does loom over just the entire NBA with, with the potential implications is Anthony Davis's health, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the team, we, we, we could go into the three-point shooting, we could go into the rim protection, but if Anthony Davis is not healthy, uh, be it, you know, actually present on the court, uh, but, but, but even, you know, if he's at 70%, 80%, that certainly lowers their ceiling and I think potentially knocks them off their perch as the uh, current favorites or, or co-favorites. I know some people uh, are really high on the net. So I think, you know, first and foremost, it's Anthony Davis's health. You know, when is he back? What, how long does it take him to ramp up back into game shape and, and just kind of the flow that um, you know, he's had kind of an up and down year by his standards, but I felt like it was, it was really starting to hit his stride over those last couple weeks before the injury. And this was just unfortunate timing um, and kind of, you know, interested to see how long it takes to get back into that. Uh, but, but yes, I, I think, look, you know, more specifically, if we're going to critique the, the roster and, and some of the, the weaknesses that they've had this season, it, it's number one, three-point shooting. Uh, you know, the, the, the Lakers fluctuate night to night, uh, both in terms of volume of three-point attempts and in terms of their percentage. And when they're hitting on both, they're basically unbeatable. Like when, when this team is making their threes, um, they're just, I mean, if you just look at that, I think, I think they might be undefeated. Don't hold me to this, but they might be undefeated when they make more threes than their opponents. Um, and it's just, you, you can't keep up with this team. But defensively, the issue is rim protection. And in going from JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, two athletic seven foot, you know, rim protectors to Marcus Sol and Montrez Harrell, a bit smaller, not as athletic, not as mobile. Um, and just not the same level of defenders. And I think that has been a bit of an issue. So if there's one thing that this team is going to upgrade, I think it's a 3D wing that can shoot and is a better shooter than, than some of the guys they have on the roster. And it's at the center spot, be it Andre Drummond, if, if he becomes available, or someone else who, who's a bit of an upgrade over Mark or Trez. You know, it's funny you say that because in the offseason, I was excited about the 3D wing that they got in West Matthews. What happened? Mm-hmm. He, he has uh, had a rough year. Um, you know, I, I think uh, first, just based on the, the depth and the, you know, kind of the, the structure of the roster, he got pushed back to sort of that ninth, tenth man role. And he's been open with the media that it's been an adjustment for him because he's basically a starter since he came in the league. Like, I think his first season, uh, he, he was kind of half starter, half bench guy. And then from that point, you know, going on basically a decade, He's been a full-time starter and, and you know, been often the, the third or fourth leading scorer on a lot of those, you know, Portland uh, teams that he was on, Dallas, um, and then played a, you know, a pivotal role in Milwaukee last year. So um, he is at that age where, you know, guys in their early 30s uh, start to drop off, you know, especially role players, and just, you know, one offseason happens and, you know, the guy comes back the next year and he's just, a bit of a shell of himself, and that's what we've seen from Wes. And I, I think it's really it, it's been more the offensive end. I actually think defensively he's been solid and, and kind of given them about what you'd expect. But this is a guy who, who's you know been 15 plus points in his career four different times, and, and for him to be passing up open shots or driving into the paint, having a layup opportunity, and kicking it out like he just does not look confident offensively. And I think that is something that he's going to have to figure out or he's just not going to be in the rotation. I mean, they, they have guys, Alex Caruso, Taylor Horton Tucker, who probably could be playing more minutes than they are in part to fit West in the rotation. So I think that's going to be one of the interesting second half things is kind of 
who from who that struggled, you know, be it Wes or Marquise Morris or KCP, um, kind of pops and gets back to the, the level we know they can play at, and who doesn't, and then how does that affect the rotation? Because right now they have 11 guys who want to be playing, and you can only play eight or nine in the playoffs. So there are going to be a couple guys who are on the outside looking in. So how should, how concerned should we be with with some of the numbers, right? Because you mentioned you know Anthony Davis having kind of an up and down year. I remember at the beginning of last year, and it started to even out. But at the start of the year, Yovan, you know, the Lakers had a negative net rating every time LeBron left the floor. Uh, this year, it's really bad. It's like negative five point seven every time LeBron's off the floor, according to cleaning the glass. So what is it with the depth? Like what what are we expecting from this team in the second half, depth wise, in terms of potential additions or targets, and how important is it, or is this something that potentially evens out as we get closer to the playoffs and they get healthier because availability has been an issue? I, I think it's 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 the latter uh, point uh, in your question because um, I mean this team is still what you know plus almost fifteen points per hundred possessions with LeBron and AD on the floor, and that's going to be happening. Um, you know, 35 to 40 minutes a night uh, in, in the playoffs, right, or something close to that. So, like, I think the, the starting group has been really good. Um, they, they've stumbled upon some some good bench-centric uh, lineups around LeBron with guys like Kyle Kuzma, Alex Crusoe, Trez, um, and some of those lineups have been really productive. So I do think that, you know, the, the top seven or eight on this team is really, really solid. Uh, you could put them against the top seven or eight on, on any other team in the league, and and the Lakers are going to, um, you know, kind of come out on, on top in that, and that's ultimately what it comes down to for, for me is, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big data guy, I'm a big uh, analytics guy, I'm, I'm, I'm big on film, but oftentimes you can just boil down a playoff series to who was the best player in the series, and most of the time. That as long as the teams are relatively even talent-wise, which, again, I think the Lakers have as much talent, if not more, than any team in the league, as long as they're relatively even, the best player is usually going to win his team that playoff series. So I'm still going to take LeBron James over anybody else in a playoff series. And I think AD, with the performance we saw in 2020, is right below him as you know a borderline top-five guy. So I think that's the reason to be optimistic. As far as the concern, I do think there is some structural concern. For me, the three-point shooting is a concern because we've seen with the way the modern game is, it's hard to be competitive when you're not making threes. Like, you know, it's simple, but three is greater than two. And if your opponent's making 15 to 20 threes, you're going to have to be scoring a lot of points in the paint or at the free throw line to keep up with them offensively. And the Lakers have struggled offensively more than defensively. I mean, they, they have the best defense in the league right now. So... If there is a concern, it's probably more actually on the offensive end, just putting competent offensive players around LeBron and AD. So I actually think most people focus on the defense and the rim protection and the center spot. I actually think the, the 3 and D wing is the greatest uh, potential upgrade on the roster. Like if they were somehow able to get, um, like, you know, Tre- Trevor Ariza, you know, dust off the cobwebs of him or, or a PJ Tucker or, or someone of that ilk, maybe even a little better. Um, I think that would definitely elevate them to the unquestioned favorites, clear best team, um, which maybe they're already there, but I think that just elevates it. Because I do think with the way KCP has played recently, the way Wes has played this season, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker is not a shooter at this point. There is some shaky perimeter shooting around LeBron and AD, and maybe that corrects itself in the postseason like it did last year. But I do think it is that, – that's like one of the – probably their biggest issue right now for me is just – I don't know if they have the level of shooting around those guys that they need to 
And if that doesn't correct itself, I could see them potentially losing because of that. Jovan Buha from The Athletic joins us here talking about the Lakers. Uh, just about a minute left here before we let you go. Um, along the lines of what you were just talking about, we know that LeBron and AD will be the reason they win or they lose. If I were to give you these two players and say who is more important to the success of those two, would you give me Dennis Schroeder or would you give me Kyle Kuzma? Ooh, that, that is a tough one. Um I think it is going to be, I would say Dennis. Um, I think Dennis was a really interesting addition because if you looked at the way they did things last year, you know, they, they went with the starting group without another ball handler. Right? They, they went with basically two wings and two bigs around LeBron. LeBron was the point guard. He led the league in assists. And then they had Rondo as a, you know, a heavy minute uh, you know, backup point guard and then sometimes playing with LeBron. Uh, with that second group, but you know it, it was it was not a lot of ball handling and playmaking around LeBron. And I, I think trading Danny Green to get Dennis, and then also promoting Taylor Horton Tucker was in the rotation. Both of those moves were in part to add some playmaking and ball handling juice around LeBron because I, I think they felt they didn't have enough of that last season. And and Dennis, I think to me on the whole, has been their third best player. I mean, I, I think. If you want to make the non-traditional case for like an Alex Caruso or a Kyle Kuzma, I think you could also put those guys in the mix. But overall, I'd probably say it's been Dennis. And I, I just think he started to find a better pick-and-roll groove with Anthony Davis. He started to find a better pick-and-roll groove with Montrose Harrell. Uh, he has alleviated some of the pressure on LeBron to handle the ball, you know, dribble it up the court. Um, he's a really good point-of-attack defender. So, He's actually, you know, he had a game earlier in the season on Christmas when he defended Luka Doncic, you know, fairly well. And he's defended one through three, you know, with, with his, he's got some length. He's really fast. So he can actually defend bigger guys um, in some instances if they're not too physical. So I do think he's been a, a, a just a sort of remodeling of their approach and then, you know, basically a supercharged version of Rondo that actually shoots. So I think he's been great for them. And, and I would say, He's probably more important. But Kyle Kuzma yeah. deserves a shout-out. He's fully embraced being a role player this year. He's accepted, I'm not a scorer on this team. I'm not a starter or, or a star on this team. I'm just going to – I mean, he's rebounding the ball at a career-high level, uh, taking threes at a, a career-high level in terms of three-point rate, and really just embracing, I'm going to be a, a high-level energy 3-D guy. And he's played that role uh, close to perfection, I think really thrive. And I've been really impressed with him because we do in the past – Shot selection was a bit of an issue. He viewed himself as a future star, and he's taken a, a step back from that and really just embraced being the dirty work guy for this team, and I think he's done a, a really, really good job this season. Well, I'm going to make it really clear. Uh, Alex Caruso cannot be their third best player because the Manscaped <laughs> ad creeps me out every single time that I see it. All right. Jovan Buha from The Athletic covers the Lakers. Always appreciate a little bit of your time, man. Thanks for joining Thanks, us. Thank you guys so much for having me. When we come back, Dave Gettleman is going to give me a heart attack. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.